Hi, friend. Hey, how's it going? I'm really tired, if we're being honest. I just woke up. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Yeah, it's going. It's it's going. (laughs) How are you? You know, same old, same old. Nothing much. Yeah, we should really stop talking to each other during the week so we have something to talk about (laughs) in this moment, but here we are. Mm-hmm. I don't see that happening anytime soon. No. Yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, same old, same old stuff. Delta variant still ruining our lives. Yeah, I can attest. Yeah, so. nothing. There's really nothing much going on. Here we are. Honest. I did buy a new microphone. Woo! Um, because I am currently still upstate. And still do not have my microphone, so I just bought a new one and headphones because I don't have headphones here either. Listen, it's you, okay you to do. have doubles of everything. You, you, literally, that's my life because I have double double toothbrushes, double like, I have double everything. One for here, one for my actual where I live. Yeah. <laughs> what are you drinking? A seltzer water and vodka Ooh. in a in a cup in a cup. Made by one of my mom's students' uh, parents. Aww. Probably has a cricket. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. So, what are you drinking? I'm drinking my typical grapefruit beer. My favorite oh boy. beer. My dad bought it. Didn't know I took one, as per usual. He'll probably figure it out when he sees there's only one left. But <laughs> That's a problem for future you. Yes, and I have water next to me, which can we just take a tour of my stickers for a minute? Because oh, this yeah. all started with you. Mm, mm-hmm. She True. bought me um, a Ransom Drysdale sticker because she knows my love and affection for Chris Evans. Yes. Um. So I was like, well, it can't be the only sticker on here. No, so, it'll be lonely. Yeah, so I bought him Steve Rogers to go right <laughs> next next to him and then i bought spencer reed of course because we also know my obsession with older men doesn't just stop at chris evans oh no of course not why would it um and then i have matching stickers because i am fully against matching tattoos i have matching stickers with one of my friends and her says um don't do anything stupid until i get back Mine says, how can I? You're taking all the stupid with you, which is a Steve Bucky quote. Um, it's pretty accurate, I feel like, personally. Yeah. And then for my birthday, my sister got me a Such an Aries sticker <laughs> because I am an Aries. Um, and then I have this. And this might be my I'll save my favorite one for the end. Um, I got some <laughs> flowers here that uh-huh. I got from a Pura Vida package and this lovely cute rainbow one from Pura Vida. Um, this one is a QR code that when you scan it, it takes you to the vine that goes, thanks for checking in. I'm still a piece of garbage. Garbage. Love it. And then for my last one, this one is my favorite one. Mm-hmm. And it's a juice box that says boys tears on it. Yes. I remember and that. it's gluten free, all natural, which is super important. Um, and that concludes the tour of my stickers that all started with one Chris Evans sticker. Love it. I'm. It's all because of you that I've spent money on stickers. Wow, I feel such an like an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh well, I do. 
I do have some. Oh, well, do you want to go ahead? I was going to say, this is Bookaholics Anonymous. <laughs> I'm Francesca. I'm Alicia. And we remembered this week. We did. We did. I feel like now it's like a stick that we're like, and we forget to do an intro every week, but then we, we actually remember it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but I was going to say Barnes & Noble had a 50% off sale this weekend. Did it? They did. They do, I should say, because it's still mm. the weekend. Yeah. But very exciting. I bought two books. Ooh. Maybe they're I'll go over the, there this week. They're on yeah. the floor next to me. Yeah, mine, Barnes & Noble, did not have a good selection. Not to put them on blast, but... Barnes & Noble, get your shit together. Yeah, Barnes & Noble, buy me, get your shit together, because it was despicable. <laughs> but I bought... Uh, what is it called? I think it's called Apple to the Core by Eric Gansworth. Ooh. And then... Uh, the City We Run, I think, or something like that, by N.K. Jeminson. Mm. Which I... Oh, wait. I have it over here. The City We Became. Excuse her. Yes. yes. I have the audiobook for that as well. Because someone told me it was really good and I had a free credit. So... Why not? We'll see how it goes. I have two Book of the Months sitting next to me that I still haven't read. Um, one of them is still in the Book of the Month box oh that hasn't been opened i got a tote bag uh tote bag from book of the month this month oh that's so cool what the fuck i, I mean i've been a member for like a year so it might be like oh i guess to do with that. yeah because that's um that's for christmas me then i guess because i started <laughs> at christmas um and then i right. have the book that Al- alicia kayla kayla got me the unhoneymooners by christina lauren that i'm probably doing next week um yeah, I've been working with Barnes and Nobles all week at work, so the idea of actually going into one makes me kind of nauseous, but we'll see. I feel that. Yeah. Well, okay, it's wait. funny that you talk about Barnes and Noble because my or um, book of the month because my book is from book of the month. Oh, you're it's doing me. Malibu Rising? Yes. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Okay. Are you ready to get? Yes. So this I was. Am. This was a book of the month. I didn't know she was a book of the month. Yeah, I think it might have. I think it was a book of the month for June, or it was an add-on that you could pick. Uh, and I so I skipped June because I was traveling, and I skipped July too because I was I was doing I was traveling. I was like I don't have time to look through these books. Mm-hmm. So I picked. Uh, I don't remember what one I picked for this month, but I got this one as an add-on because I was like, oh, I, I, you know, I, I think I, I'm going to read it. I'm going to give it a chance. Yeah. So, yeah, this week I'm doing Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Ooh. And Our we first, know your, your, uh... Yeah, my Rocky history with Miss TJR. Yeah. So I'm curious to see what you think of this one. So, um... Yeah, so I, for anyone who doesn't know, I read Daisy Jones and the Six physically, did not like it. I actually sold my copy last year because I didn't <laughs> like it so much. And although I will watch the show when it comes out. Of oh, course. absolutely. Absolutely. So I did not like it. I will. I am willing to give it another chance if I ever get my hands on the audiobook, however. Mm-hmm. Then I read Evelyn Hugo and like last year for part of my book club. And really like that. I gave it like four or five stars. I think I might have even given it five stars. And wow. yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought she did a really good job. There were a couple things I was like, mm, but most for the most part, it was phenomenal. This one, spoiler alert, I would put in between the two. It's not as good as Evelyn Hugo, 
but I don't hate it like I hated Daisy Jones and the Six. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so, um, I guess we'll get right into it. So, if you, if any of you, I mean, I'm assuming you've read it if you're listening to this episode, but I'm kind of, kind of split it up differently than how it is in the book because it jumps in between two time periods. Okay. And I think it'll be easier for, to just go through the one time period and then go back to like the other one. Mm-hmm. So to just to start it off, we start off in August on August 27th, 1983. So we're coming up on the anniversary. Oh. Love that. Yes, yeah, someone's um, birthday. Right. Whoever it is, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we start off in Malibu at the home of Nina Riva, who, if you've read Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, you will recognize this last name. It's one of Evelyn Hugo's husbands, Mick Riva. That's her dad. Ah. So you will, that'll come into play a little bit. So we find out that scandalously, Nina and her husband have broken off because he left her for another woman. Ugh, Hate POS. That. I know. He's he's like some hotshot tennis player named Brandon, mm. and he broke it off with her to date this other hotshot tennis player named Carrie Soto. So not a fan of that. Rude. Right. And Nina's not happy because the coverage of this split, this divorce, has been horrendous, of course. Mm-hmm. Not only because she looks horrible in the pictures that have been posted. Relatable. <laughs> but because they focused more on her famous dad than her so all the coverage is like comparisons of nina and her on her dad and it's mostly talking about her dad and his like failed relationships and so she's like what the fuck it's my divorce and you're focusing on my dad yeah weird a little bit of a weird choice so we then go to her siblings who are chilling on the beach and catching waves because they live in Malibu and they surf. Two of them are like kind of professional surfers. Okay. So her two siblings, Jay, who's 23, and Kit, who's 20. Uh, Nina is 25, by the way. Okay. They're chilling on the beach, catching waves. They're all talking about the, the party at Nina's tonight and whether or not she's doing well after this separation. Mm-hmm. And... And then we next hear from their brother, Hud, or Hudson, that's his whole name. Mm. Who's also Little 20. honey. Yeah, he's also 23. And he's banging his brother's ex-girlfriend. There are so many layers to that. Yeah. Yeah, they had just broken up six months ago, and he's banging her. So that's just fantastic. Um, they're also discussing this party at Nina's. And trying to decide if now is the best time to spring this relationship on on the fam. Survey says no, in my opinion. But yeah. that's just me. Yeah, no. And, and then we find out that HUD started sleeping with this girl. Her name is Ashley, by the way. He started sleeping with Ashley before Ashley and Jay were broken up. So. Oh, so he's a piece of shit. Okay, just yeah, making yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So... They're trying to decide if they want to tell the family. You know, it's a bunch of drama. We And then we find out that this party that Nina's throwing is like a huge thing that they do every year. Like the family, the Riva family. 
and it's a huge to do in the summer and who you know whoever is the hot shot at the moment everyone's there you know mm-hmm. and they make they make a couple of references to like famous people at the time and they reference rob Lowe, and my mom would really appreciate that that reference because she loves rob Lowe. so rob Lowe is did- great his adkins commercials are <laughs> top tier i mean in parks and rec phenomenal incredible exactly he is the no i shouldn't say that because adam scott is the best character on that show that is absolutely correct chris pratt dropped s- several levels just because of who plays andy. yeah other otherwise he would be fantastic oh yeah otherwise andy would be the best one for sure so that's like the background and that's going to be kind of like the main like timeline plot that goes throughout the book but now i'm gonna flash back to 1956 because we're going to learn about their parents and that relationship and i thought it would be easier to go through this timeline than going back and forth with this timeline of the party 24 hour span 7 a.m to 7 a.m so so yeah so now we're gonna be on this timeline of nina and those siblings parents and how they met and all this backstory so the book now flashes back to tell the story of Michael, Mick, Dominic, Riva, and June Costas, who are the parents of the Riva siblings that I just told you about. Mm-hmm. By the way, anyone who uh, hears some background noise, my dad is mowing the lawn, so uh, <clears throat> just ignore that. I don't feel like waiting 30 minutes. I'm impatient. Um, so Mick and June meet in Malibu in 1956, at the time, Malibu is not, like, the cool, hip place that it is now. It's, like, a small coastal town that really survives off of fishing, which really gives me, like, folklore vibes. You know, like, the last Great American Dynasty vibes, kind of. <laughs> I just gotta put that out there. Anyway, we can relate this back to Taylor Swift or going Dude, to. Dude, I'm She's not going kidding. TJR, uh, Taylor Jenkins Reads, the uh, cinematic universe, she likes to take from... <laughs> <laughs> She the TJRCU. Yeah, exactly. The TJRCU. She loves to like take, not take, but yeah, take inspiration from, you know, celebrities. Like uh, Daisy Jones and the Six is obviously Fleetwood Mac. Evelyn Hugo is obviously um, Elizabeth Taylor. So then who is this one about? I, I don't know. I don't know enough about this kind of stuff. I think this one is kind of separate from that because it's still in the same universe because mm. they all take place in the same TJRCU. Yeah. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if down the road she wrote a, t- a Taylor Swift inspired one. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> How do we know Evelyn who you go? Is it inspired by Taylor Swift and she just made them husbands instead of boyfriends? Because it's very clearly Elizabeth Taylor for <laughs> sure. I just it's funny because I read um an Elizabeth Taylor biography that's so funny right before I read Evelyn Hugo so I was like this is so blatantly clear like Elizabeth Taylor like for Mm -hmm. sure it's a little different obviously like I don't want to spoil it but there are very there are stark differences but there are a lot of very similar things so June's parents own a small restaurant called Pacific Fish just off the PCH the Pacific Highway Mm -hmm. Coastal Highway for anyone who is wondering it's and it's expected that June is gonna take over this restaurant for her parents, like when she gets older. 
even though she does not really want to. She actually would very much like to do anything else but that. <laughs> yeah. So Mick has been living in L.A. for the past two years and is in happens to be in Malibu surfing. He moved to L.A., obviously, in search of being a singer, a famous singer, and has been unsuccessful so far. Get Join the club. <laughs> so he's he was in Malibu because he wants to be wants to go surfing, whatever. So he saw June and asked her out after seeing her on the beach. And they go to this fancy restaurant called the Sea Lion. That sounds like a diner. Yeah. Nope. It's a fancy restaurant, apparently. <laughs> and over dinner, they talk about their their backgrounds and their shared dreams of making it, you know, somewhere in the world that's not where they came from Mm -hmm. and kind of about their family as well and afterwards he like sings her a song and they make out in the truck and then you know he drops her off whatever (laughs) yeah right so you know they begin dating and soon enough they're walking down the santa monica pier and mick gets down on one knee and proposes with this tiny ring i believe he proposed her after like maybe five months of dating which kind of sounds about right for the time honestly my grandparents got engaged after six months so (laughs) (laughs) right so he proposes with this tiny ring and promises her a larger one someday in the future once he becomes a famous singer obviously june obviously very excited says yes and is just over the moon about it then the next day they go to june's parents to tell them the news her mother, whose name is Christina, by the way, a uh, comments. <laughs> she comments on how handsome Mick is, but is also very much like, "Do I don't know if you should trust this dude because he is very pretty, and pretty boys, they're trouble." Mm-hmm. Aren't Even they if always? Pretty, they're trouble. <laughs> yeah, actually, men are just trouble. Don't bother. <laughs> father so so june's mom is very wary of him however her father theo takes mick off to the side and asks you know starts interrogating him and tell makes mick promise if this singing thing doesn't work out you have to come back here with june and agree to take over the restaurant which mick agrees to even though both he and june have absolutely no intention of running this restaurant they're like absolutely not, sir. They're they're just determined to make make it somewhere, you know. So eventually, Mick starts booking some small gigs at restaurants and clubs in Hollywood, and then a few months later, gets a record deal for with Runner Records, which is a made up record company. And mm-hmm. once he gets this deal, buys June a larger engagement ring to replace the small one he got her. Which hey, at least we're we are coming through with the promises here. Soon, though, yes. June is now pregnant, and that obviously, we are 1956, and that can't happen. <laughs> that is a no-no. So yeah. she tells her mom, and her mom is like, listen, like this is not ideal, but you're not the first person to deal with this. So obviously you have to get married now, mm-hmm. move up the, like, the wedding, and so then they can play off the pregnancy like when she gives birth as, oh, it's pre- a premature birth she's a preemie (laughs) which i thought was kind of funny 
Because you can kind of, it's just like very hilarious to me. You can clearly tell when a baby is born full term. Yeah, because it's like even a pre- yeah a preemie, but it comes out completely <laughs> yeah, like exactly. full size. So they move up the wedding. They get married on the beach in Malibu under a tent. And that night, Mick sings a song for June called Warm June, which I think is very cute. She just wants to be a songwriter, I think. I think that's what <laughs> But she doesn't write any anymore. lyrics, so I feel like she's not as, like, committed as Tolkien is to that dream. She didn't write for this book? Yeah, she wrote no lyrics for this one. Oh, okay. And um, Daisy Jones and the Six, she did. Mm-hmm. So I, I was know, but sure this one, was... she was like, uh, too much work. Ugh. I appreciate it, though. I hate reading fucking fake song lyrics. Like, I'm not reading yeah. that. <laughs> I think that's what I'm most excited for in the show is to hear, like, the actual songs. Right. Yeah. Because in your head, it's just, like, slam poetry. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. That's why I'm almost curious to read the audiobook. Because I'm curious what tune they came up with. Yeah. So, or if they just talk it. Right. So Nina is born their first in July 1958. And they move into a three-bedroom house on Malibu Road with a double vanity, which was a huge thing. They always talked about double vanities being, like, a sign of wealth, which I thought was mm -hmm. really funny. Because I also, as, like, a kid, like, if I saw someone with two sinks in their, like, house, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. My parents don't even have an ensuite bathroom. <laughs> My parents technically don't either. They just have a door to the one bathroom, like upstairs. Yeah. So it's not like really an ensuite because anyone can go in. Right. But. And so he buys this house for her. Whatever. She thinks it's beautiful. He also buys her a brand new Cadillac. Hot shot over here. Ooh, fancy schmancy. I know. So then a year later, Jay is born in 1959 august 17th okay so in a couple days and jay is the one that is sleeping with his no that's hudson ex hud is the one who's sleeping right. with jay's ex-girlfriend okay i knew jay was involved somehow yes okay so jay is the second oldest he was born on august 17th 1959 and this also coincided with mick's tour for his debut album and Mick refused to reschedule this tour, but agreed to be home for the birth. Guess what he was right, not home for? Dick. Guess what he was not home for? The birth. <laughs> the birth. Um, Christina, so June's mom, called him saying, hey, June's in labor. And he was at the show in Vegas, I believe, and got the call. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh. yes, and? He's like, if I leave this show, like, this is a really big show. I can book more gigs if I do this show. And then decides I'm not gonna follow through on this promise to my wife and doesn't come until after he plays that show. So that's great. Why don't you play some and then have like a PA come out and like whisper in your ear and be like, oh my God, my wife's in birth. And everyone will be like excited for him. Your wife's in birth. Your wife is in birth. <laughs> uh, your wife is in labor. Your wife is giving birth. Um, and then everyone's like, yeah, woo. And you have that. <laughs> added sympathy and you only play half the show right no of course not no instead he just plays the whole show and then goes home and she's obviously very pissed rightfully yeah but he then proceeds to apologize profusely and she lets it go and what also helps is he tells her he's going to put warm june the song he wrote for her on his mm -hmm. second album 
which she like it very much is very tickled by this like she thinks it's so cute because now everyone knows that she he he's like hers you know yeah but she also has been starting to suspect that he's been cheating on her on the road (sighs) all men do is lie (laughs) so in december 1959 june answers the door to find a young carol hudson carrying a one-month-old baby and tells june that mick is the father and that she cannot take care of this baby and hands June the birth certificate and the baby, tells her the name The name of the baby is Hudson Riva, and leaves. So June, shocked and furious, st- like starts comforting this baby and d- decides that she's willing and able to love him, but she is pissed at Mick. Yeah. Right. Because so, it's not the baby's fault. Right. No, it isn't. So that night, she plans on changing the locks to keep Mick out of the house and even calls a locksmith. But he refuses to help because she doesn't own the house. All men do is lie. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and she it's funny because in the book, she there's even a line that she says, like, um, she's like, I bet he's been in this situation and that's why he's not helping me, which is really funny. Which is probably true. Mm-hmm. So instead, she jams the door with a chair. And when Mick finally comes home at like 2 or 3 a.m., He's unable to open the door more than, like, a smidgen. Mm-hmm. And June confronts him about this baby that's just been dropped off. <laughs> <laughs> so Mick thinks back to the many, many, many times he's rejected women coming up to him. And finally, he gives in to this girl named Deanna, who I believe is, like, a, a backup singer or something in the parking lot of, I think it's Record Studio. Mm-hmm. And from then on, he starts actively cheating on his wife with, like, a string of women. Ugh, what a piece of shit. Yeah, even though he told himself he was going to be a good husband to June. And eventually he met Carol and really fell for her, like, started seeing her at her apartment and stuff. But three months into it, she got pregnant. And so he stopped seeing her but was sending her money and kept seeing other women as well at the same time. Yeah. Wouldn't you think if you got one girl pregnant, that would be enough for you? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You would think. You would think, but... You would think. Men don't use that brain. No, of course not. They use the different head. Yeah, they're thinking with the other head. So, stuck outside his house, Mick obviously is apologizing to June and starts crying because that's how men emotionally manipulate you. <laughs> And when June tells him to leave and that she intends to raise the boys on her own and Nina, Mick reminds her that if she t- intends to keep Hudson, then she'll have to take him back because he's the father, which I think is so shitty. Like, he's just manipulating her yeah, into letting him back. He's like, well, if you want to raise that, that kid that just got dropped off, he's not even yours. So, like, sir, stop pretending like you want to be a father. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, right? And so June reluctantly lets him back in and Mick promises to be a better husband and they agree to let people believe the boys are twins since they are only three months apart in age or one month apart in age. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. I still feel like people would not believe that, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Like you introduce one and then you're like, surprise, he has a twin. He's just been cooking a little bit longer. It's like, yeah, I'm like, I don't know how you guys swung that, but you also swung that Nina was uh, premature, so... I guess, whatever. (laughs) So as time passes, Mick becomes more well-known, obviously, and his career is taking off. 
And June is like pretty happy with the nice things she she has and her children, even if Mick continues to continually cheat on her. Which to that garbage, I, yeah. To that I say, you deserve more, ma'am. But whatever, you do what you got to do. Yeah, get that money, <laughs> right? If so, you're not going to get the man, get the bank. Exactly. So Mick starts seeing this woman named Veronica Lowe in public places. Like he doesn't even care anymore. And one day he tells June that he's taking Veronica to Paris. He's like, seems pretty drunk too when he's doing this, by the way. He takes off to, despite June's protests and cries. And Mick tells himself that he just needs a good woman to save him. As if June isn't a good woman. Thank you. Rude. Yeah, this Mick is like, I actually think Mick is a very interesting character. And we'll get into that a little later. But he makes some very bad. He's a very shitty person like horrible i mean you don't have to tell me yeah i figured that out yeah so before he thought that this good woman was june but now he thinks it's veronica because men all men do are lie is lie so (laughs) so afterwards june finally admits to her mother that mick has left her and though she promises herself that she will be more than just a woman he left um that's gonna be a little hard because now he's like cheated on her publicly like twice like many times yeah so so in 1961 the day after mick and june's divorce is finalized mick and veronica get married because he really is just like a piece of shit literally right and so mick and veronica start living in a penthouse in manhattan because that's where all the cheaters go apparently (laughs) (laughs) oh man wow yeah she said i've been burned and i'm gonna tell you about it oh i could tell you some stories so four months later he starts cheating on veronica with a woman named sandra and when veronica finds out she he files for divorce yet again because i don't know if this man knows but women don't like cheaters like i don't (laughs) i don't get it but all right the logic right it's not there right so then we get a little bit little bit of backstory on mick mick's own parents were named carlo and anna riva and mick was their only child and you would think that since he was their only child this would mean he was like spoiled and whatnot mm-hmm. but no they fucking hated this kid like they basically oh my God. they basically saw only having mick as like a failure and like the end of this like relationship that they had and they even though they were poor and loved each other they would hit each other and be like abusive so carlo carlo would cheat on anna anna was would like hit him and they both would like neglect mick like there's a story about how mick would just like sit in the dark and eat uncooked pasta because no one was cooking for him and anna would come in and be like try to make it up to him and it just like would not suffice obviously stop trying to make men sympathetic characters (laughs) i yeah i mean when i was reading this part i'm like okay that is very sad don't get me wrong he shouldn't have had to go through that but also like that doesn't excuse you being a shitty person sorry kind of bouncing off of that i've been watching ted lasso 
Yes. As we know. As, as we you know. know. As I know. Yeah. Specifically. <laughs> um, and one of the characters, super shitty. Super shitty. Yeah. And in the finale, they tried to make him sympathetic. Yeah. By showing him basically, like, being berated and yelled at by his dad mm-hmm. and, like, having a shoe thrown at his head. Right. And all this shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do not try to make him sympathetic. Right. Every show needs one villain. <laughs> one villain that stays the villain. Right. Do not. No. No. I think TJR does, like, a really good job with Mick as a character because I think at least I still do not like him. Like he's a piece of shit, but having the backstory kind of explains why he is the way he is. And even yeah. though I don't sympathize and like excuse it, I'm like, okay, it makes sense why he's doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And there's this like one great line that I'll read at the end that I, it like made me tear up. It was very like, wow. Can't believe that came out of this man's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so Mick, remarries again after veronica but it's annulled the next day and by then june had removed any trace from mick from their house she's like thrown away his records their pictures whatnot you know she's she's ready to move on she's an independent woman she don't need no man right so by the spring of 1962 mick is single and bored with the countless life or with the countless beautiful women he's slept with and starts thinking of june and decides to pay her a visit because men can't leave well enough alone. <laughs> yeah. Especially this man. It's it's like the sixth sense where he knows yes. that she moved on. Yes. She's doing great. Yes. And he just has like a ping in his brain where he's like, she is emotionally healthy. Let's go ruin that. Literally. That is exactly what it is. So June wakes up to find him proclaiming his love for her in their house. Like he has gone into their house because he apparently still has a key and she's not changed the locks. And he's in their bedroom. Well, because she doesn't own the house. That's true. You know, you got a point. So he's, like, begging her for one more chance, and he pleads with her to imagine their life as a family again. And, and you know, I think June likes that idea and doesn't want their kids to necessarily grow up without a father. So she mm-hmm. relents and lets him into their life again. And... During this all, Nina wakes up and is, like, very confused and is like, who is this man that is in her <laughs> house? And he tries to, like, reintroduce himself as her father. But you can tell that she's, like, very wary of him still, obviously. For right reasons, yes. Yeah, right. For good reason, because, yikes. So, on hiatus from touring back and back with his family, Mick spends the summer of 1962 being the family man. And though and though Nina is still obviously, like I said, skeptical of him, one night he proposes to June again and she says yes and they get remarried in September and then by the end of the year, June is pregnant with Kit, who is the last kid. Yes. Everybody makes so, mistakes, but goddamn June. <laughs> I know. I know. So meanwhile, Nina has finally come to accept her father and starts kind of like adoring mm-hmm. him and is like oh my she tells him at one point oh, i don't even remember when you weren't you weren't here anymore which like ma'am oh, my sweet baby angel okay <laughs> nina that's like the baby mm-hmm. like the kid yeah so a year later mick meets up uh with his with a backup singer in atlantic city and decides not to go home again fucking atlantic so. city i can't I know. I'm like, okay. They see the city of bad decisions. 
I'm sorry if you're from Atlantic City, but nothing good has ever happened to anybody I know who has gone. In Atlantic City? Yeah. I feel that. I My senior trip was to Atlantic City. I did not go, but... Why would That's they send a bunch of 18-year-olds to Atlantic City? Because we were already going to New York City as, like, a different trip. And, like, we're from upstate, so, yeah. like, that's far for us. <laughs> I think they wanted to go to the um, the aquarium oh. there. So, and the beach, because we, we don't have nice beaches here, so. Not like, I don't know if Atlanta City has nice beaches, but it's at least along the ocean. Yeah, it's like an actual lake. beach, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, by 1969, Mick Reeves' Mick career had re- really taken off with his music playing everywhere. Um, so, his chi- so this is a direct quote. So, to his children, he was both inescapable and never there. Oof. Wah. Yeah, yikes. That's a double whammy. Yeah. And meanwhile... June's father, Theo, has now been dead for two years. Nina is 11. Jay and Hutter, nine. Kit is six. Okay. So, Mick and June have already gotten divorced, and while June had gotten the house, Mick has soon stopped paying child support or alimony. Yeah, love that. Ugh, God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So June realized it was likely probably an oversight and easily fixed with a phone call, because he had previously been fine and like has paid it you know up to that point but um she refused to ask him for anything so she did not call him (laughs) which i respect yeah sorry i'm having like a weird bout of deja vu like i feel like we've definitely (laughs) talked about this before i definitely have friends who've been in that situation yeah so so do i so I, I feel like probably everyone at least knows someone. Yeah. Okay, so instead, she went to work at the restaurant that she never wanted to work at. Oh. At her, yeah, Pacific Fish, which she now ran with her mother. And the kids went with her during the summer because she doesn't obviously have childcare to take care of them. Oh. So one busy day in July, June has asked Nina to help out with the restaurant like just cleaning mm-hmm. tables because it was like crazy busy and later june tells nina to take the kids out to the beach and that kind of like annoys nina because she's like i'm doing such a good job why do i have to leave yeah but um she takes them out to the beach and they spot a eric like a, a surfboard that's just like been left there mm-hmm. and jay suggests that they try it out and after some like bickering, because Nina's like, no, that's not ours. We shouldn't take it. Which like so true, bestie. Yes, bestie. Right. Um. They all end up taking it out and have like the greatest time. And Jay ends up like managing to actually surf, like stand up on the board because previously they were just like on their stomachs. Yeah. Um. That night, the kids fall asleep thinking of thir- surfing and ask their mom like if they can go back, if they can keep the surfboard and June is like, no, because that's not yours. Yeah. But if it's still there in the morning, we can keep it. Because if it's been there, probably yeah. no one is going to claim it. So Nina, however, during the night is like all consumed by the feeling of wanting to go back. So How she old is she at this point? Her- 11. Okay. So she tells her mom that she wants to work at the restaurant so she can buy surfboards for them all. Um, which kind of, I think, probably breaks June's heart because you're like, she's like, you're 11. You should not have to like worry about this kind of yeah. stuff. Um, so June reassures her that she'll buy them surfboards and 
later on, come Christmas, the kids jump awake and there's surfboards for all of them. So June ends up being able to buy them surfboards. Mm. Yeah. So by 1971, Nina has started noticing how much alcohol her mother is drinking. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, and that last year, everyone had to evacuate due to a fire in Malibu, which, like, this is a running theme throughout the book, is that Malibu always catches fire. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable. There's constantly fires there. Um, and as everyone grabbed their essentials, Nina saw her mom grab a bottle of vodka as her essential before they left. I mean, no judgment. <laughs> I mean... That's fair. Yeah. I had four kids, and I had to raise them by myself. That might also be one of my essentials. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, in the fall of 1971, Christina dies of a stroke, and afterward, Nina offers to help her mother out at the restaurant instead of going to school, but her mother is, like, insistent, like, you have to go to school. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to be stuck at this restaurant for the rest of your life. And at the restaurant, June thinks about how it's all hers now, and the and that this was like the exact opposite of what she wanted to do with her life yeah and that's kind of depressing so then she gets the idea to rename the resort or sorry (laughs) she gets the idea to rename the restaurant Riva's Seafood she thinks about how it will bring in more customers that and that when Mick finally comes back that he'd love it which ma'am ma'am honey Sweet, 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 sweet girl. No. No. Jay and Hud also realize that their mother is an alcoholic. And at 14, (laughs) Nina starts driving. And even though it terrifies her, it terrifies her more that her, her mom drives drunk. Yeah. Yeah. So a year later, when Kit is 10, it also clicks for her that June is an alcoholic and she is very angry towards June because that's like obviously kind of embarrassing and just like not great. Yeah. (laughs) Um, A few weeks later, June burns dinner and serves it anyways. And the other kids pretend it's fine, but Kit angrily points out that it's burnt and that June is an alcoholic. (laughs) And I was like, wow, Kit, you really are the MVP here. Yeah. Kit, (laughs) the chaos. Yeah. So this, you always have that one kid who's just like, no, I'm and not And it's always pretend. the youngest. Yeah, exactly. They're just, they have no fucks. So the other kids try to defuse the situation, but Jay and Hud finally talk about their mother's situation and contemplate, like, getting in contact with Mick because it's gotten so bad. But they kind of decide against it because they're like, uh, I, I almost would rather not. <laughs> He's, like, not worth it. Um, how... Um- which is worse, mom drinking or dad being around? <laughs> exactly. So one night in 1975, all the kids happen to be out on sleepovers the same night. And Nina is like super worried about leaving her mom alone. But June insists that Nina leaves. She They like have this like banter that's like, June asks her, she's like, who's the mom? And she goes, you're the mom, I'm the kid. So clearly June is like aware that Nina is taking on more than she should as a like 17 year old but doesn't care enough to like stop drinking yeah or like try to seek any help out so that's frustrating so that night it's reported that mick has married for the fifth jesus time. christ man i know this time to a 24 year old model named margot Karun. how old is he now 
20 uh he was 23 in 1956 so it's 1975 so that's 20 years 11 years more or sorry 21 years more so he's in his 40s 20, or 40s yeah he's like 44 okay i don't like it yeah. she's a little young it's a little icky but yeah. it doesn't make my tummy feel good but i mean if you can be her father yeah comfortably I don't know. So June drinks and thinks about how he's never coming back and decides to go drown herself in a bathtub and drunkenly falls asleep and drowns. Yeah. So the next. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So the next morning, Nina comes home to find her mother dead. Yeah. In the bathtub. Oh, my God. The trauma this poor girl is going through. They have so much trauma. Let me tell you. Oh, my God. And then she takes on raising her siblings. And yes. Jesus Christ. So um, after her siblings come home, she tells them, uh, you know, their mom is dead. And Nina realizes that she will have to be the one to raise them now. So that's great. No. How yeah. does CPS not get involved? Oh, I guess it's the seventies. Yeah. No, I'll I'll get okay. to that. So, at June's funeral, Nina is seventeen. Jay and Hud are sixteen. Kit is twelve. Afterwards, they talk about how Mick didn't show up to the funeral. Oh. He like straight up did not show up. <sighs> yeah, yeah, he's a real piece of shit. So even though Nina had tried to contact his manager and the courts had likely already reached out to him as the executor of June's estate, he doesn't show up. So Nina is determined to keep her siblings out of foster care. And the school principal had explained to her that as long as it seemed like things were in order and that someone was there, he wasn't going to tell the state. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) I mean, it's shitty, but it's nice. Yeah, it's nice, but also, damn, that sucks. Ass. Like, a lawyer also explained to Nina that when she's 18, she can become their legal guardian. So how many more months is that? I think just like a year, because she's 17 now, so she has... Well, I didn't know if it was like 18. she's 17 I, and then three months later. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, but I was just wondering if they said. Yeah, so um, out of necessity, Nina takes on the responsibility of raising the family and doing all the household tax tasks, including... Paying property tax and calling a roofer when the roof leaked and giving all the other kids chores to do, like cleaning and laundry. Okay, I know this is supposed to be like realistic fiction, but like what if it was like a thriller and to like fool people, she bought like different mannequins and different like structures. So like one that's like looks like they're like standing doing laundry, another one that looks like it's sitting reading books. So like when a roofer walks past, Uh they think like it's the mom sitting there, but it's just a mannequin. Oh my gosh. Nobody steal that idea. TM, TM, TM. I'm writing that book. <laughs> she like dresses it up in her mom's clothes too. Oh, this. It's getting better and better. I'm, I'm writing this book. Nobody fucking steal my idea. So meanwhile, they are financially living off the restaurant's profits, but it's not enough to make ends meet. And the restaurant manager quits. So Nina has to end up dropping out and taking over. Oh, poor girl. Yeah, on the day Nina turns 18, um, they pile into the car and go to the lawyer's office to arrange for Nina's legal guardianship, and after a few weeks, it's approved. So Mick clearly 
got notification of this and didn't like because he's a piece of garbage he's a still a piece of garbage garbage. exactly so uh so for three years nina keeps the family struggling along barely getting by when hud and jay offered to drop out of school to help out she refused and is like no you have to finish college like only one of us should have to like deal with the shitty hand that we've been dealt with which i think is very like noble Older, yeah, noble and older sister of her. Yeah. So in spring of 1978, the two boys graduate high school. Hud heads off to Loyola Marymount uh, with a financial aid package, and Jay helps out at the restaurant while working at a surf shop as well. On weekends, they surf together with Hud using a camera to take photos of Jay. Ooh. Yeah. Kit, meanwhile, is busy at parties, surfing, and doing part-time work as a house painter. Mm-hmm. Which, I was like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I feel like painting houses would be a lot of work, though, and very sweaty. <laughs> yeah. Is she doing exterior or interior painting? Because exterior good, seems right. like a lot. Right. That's what I was also wondering. So, in 19, April of 1978, Nina's out surfing when she's spotted by an editor of uh, The Vaunt magazine. Hopefully I'm saying that right. <laughs> it sounds like I am. It's so. fake, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> So he introduces himself and hands her his business card, telling her that she should consider modeling to make money. Mm-hmm. Which to that I say, I don't trust it. It seems yeah. sketch, but all right. So she it, she agrees, thinking about paying for HUD's college tuition. And soon enough, she's at a photo shoot in her bikini, which ends up in the J- June 1979 issue of Vivant. <clears throat> so Nina tells her agent that she wants to enter surfing competitions, but it's soon becomes very clear that people care more about seeing photos of her in bikinis than they do about her actually surfing. Yeah. Because I, I think like the agent makes like a comment that's like, no one wants to see you surfing. Like they want to see you just like, in, like just want to see pictures of you. Like no one cares if you surf. I'm like, okay, but she wants to surf. So yeah. What does that have to do with her wanting to enter competition right yeah they're i think they're also worried like she'll like bruise her face or something if she goes and serves yeah you know that kind of bullshit yeah so meanwhile as nina takes her siblings with her during these surf shoots these you know whatever these magazine shoots kit sees that there's female surfers out there and jay realizes that he wants to get serious about his surfing career as well Mm -hmm. soon there's a calendar made of Nina, the July photo ends up being a very risque shot that ends up making her super famous. The risque shot like shows her like nipples. It's like very see through more than she like realized, and that's kind of icky to me. Yeah, um, and also ends up being a popular pinup photo. And from there, the money starts rolling in. Not a lot, but like enough that she can pay off medical bills mm-hmm. and finally patch the roof, and yeah, it can become comfortable. In August, with their spirits high nina suggests throwing a party so this is where the parties start um and then in february of 1981 brandon is doing a photo shoot for a sports magazine cover when nina and kit happen to be at a restaurant on the beach nearby they notice the photo shoot and nina recognizes that he's some type of tennis player meanwhile brandon spots nina and the photographer recognizes her as the girl from the posters and tells brandon about her so Brandon ends up asking, going over and asking Nina out, and we get a little bit of background on Brandon. He's started playing tennis at a young age, encouraged by his father, who started training, started 
um, his train started, sorry, who started him training with a renowned tennis coach named Thomas O'Connell by the age of 12. He was taught to act like a gentleman and to win. Like that's all his parent, his dad cared about one act like a gentleman beat two win. So by 25, he had won a number of tennis titles. I think he had like nine grand slams or something. Damn. Yeah, and he had the nickname with the media uh, called Bran Ryan. So, when Nina meets Brandon, he's already famous and rich, but he woos her in a low-key way, which Nina appreciates. He's not over the top, you know? Mm -hmm. He kind of seems down to earth, which I understand how she could fall for that. So, soon the two are spending a lot of time together, and the rest of the siblings often join them for various outings. Brandon is accepting of Nina's closeness to her siblings, which that is, like, number one in our priority list. In the fall, they're, they get engaged, and by the spring of 1982, they get married and move into this current house that she's in on 28150 Cliffside Drive, which is where these parties take place, these famous parties. Um, Brandon chose it based on the proximity to the surf and the house being good for parties since there were enough rooms for Nina's siblings to all have their own if they wanted to stay over. Mm -hmm. Which, like, Nina appreciates, but he bought this house without even, like, asking her. That's a very Jim and Pam from The Office moment. Right. But... Uh, And as someone that cares deeply about their interior (laughs) design and their future home... Yeah. I think I would vomit if a man... Same. My boyfriend, like, out of... I appreciate the gesture, but my right. my future boyfriend or husband needs to know I am very type A about this. Searching right. for an apartment for me and my roommate Brittany has mm-hmm. been a nightmare just because I'm so like, well, the room is a little small. It's not in the right location. Like, I am so type A. And <laughs> I she doesn't even know, like, how bad it has been for me looking at these apartments. I I think I would just simply be like, mm. I would like start <laughs> shaking yet. and be like, thank you, like holding back <laughs> tears. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a very weird move. Like, you're gonna buy a house without even like letting your um your spouse look at it. That's that's just very weird to me. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. So a year later, however, Brandon comes back from winning Wimbledon to say he has met someone else and is leaving. Nina thinks about having watched her mother go through the same thing and about being abandoned once again by a man she's trusted. Oh, God damn it. I know. All men do is lie. <laughs> you need to put that on a fucking t-shirt or something. I know. <laughs> so now we are back to the main timeline of this party on August 27th between 7 a.m. 7 a.m. the next day, I, I believe. So Nina decides... So now we're back on August 27th in 1983. Yeah, 1983. Nina decides she's going to head down to Reva's Seafood, which is her family's restaurant, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. And while there to check out how the business is doing, she goes out and talks to some of the customers. A 15-year-old boy asks for an autograph and a picture. He's like, the, the boy is fine. His father, however, takes it upon himself to run his hand alongside, along her full side because of this ad that she did for a t-shirt company and at, and the tagline was like go ahead see how soft it is and so that's the that's the line he uses when he's like oh i just wanted to see how soft it is <laughs> yeah exactly i'm sorry yeah, exactly. if the sound of vomiting makes you vomit but 
that sh- that summary that she just gave should make you vomit. It's disgusting. Men need to be like handcuffed at all times. <laughs> like they should have like one of those waistbands that like they're required to have before they leave the house, have their hands like stuck to their side. Right? right. I feel like that's fine. <laughs> you can still like, like move with them. You can still like wave. Yeah, it's like not like your hands side. are tied behind your back at all times. Oh, like boy. just keep your fucking hands to yourself. Yeah. I don't understand where that logic comes from where men think they can touch me. Right. Or it's, anyone. It's disgusting. So it's, so at the beach, Jay and Kit are done surfing, and they plan to head to their childhood home on Malibu Road, where they still live, before meeting their sisters up at Riva's Seafood. Nina lives, lives in her mansion. HUD lives in an Airstream that he bought. No, that's dope. I love that. Yeah, so they're the only two who are still living in their childhood home. So while Jay travels a lot for his surfing career, Kit is a junior at Santa Monica, Santa Monica College, and she helps out. On the, at the restaurant on weekends. Kit thinks she's as good at surfing as her siblings, but she doesn't have Nina's gorgeous looks to get the same type of attention, which, oh. Kit, baby, that is absolutely false. I'm sure you're fantastic and you look bomb. Oh, you sweet baby angel. Exactly. So while Kit goes inside to grab a shower, Jay goes out to Sandcastle Beach Cafe to seek out this girl named Lara. Someone he'd met there three weeks ago and fallen hard for after they hooked up and they had like a moment like, you know, where he told her he'd recently been diagnosed with dilated cardiomyopathy, which is a heart problem um, that Mm -hmm. is going to end his surfing career because no. yeah or you know what he could have done he could have lied and said he doesn't have it and pull a lucas scott <laughs> that's true shout out shout out shout out we love one tree hill i was a nathan girl though so i felt like i had to be a lucas girl because chad michael murray is from buffalo so yeah he just has like i always called them volcano nipples but he just has very weird I nipples i'm noticed. sorry chad michael murray but <laughs> If you look at them, they're, like, really big and, like, indented. <laughs> it's weird. I'm going to oh send boy. you pictures. <laughs> it's okay. I'll never forget, forgive him for what he did to Sophie oh, that's Bush. True. That too. So, sweet girl. Congratulations, also. Yes, she got engaged. To her. She just got engaged. Oh. oh, my God. I'm so happy for her. I saw a tweet where it was, like... What happened to his Sophia Bush proves to me that I shouldn't settle for my Chad Michael Murray, but wait for my Grant Hughes. And I was like, oh, my I God. Yes. His, his last name is the same as mine. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Right. But I was like, which is fair. Good for her. I want to start listening to their podcast. I just haven't gotten around to it. So yet. do I. Neither have I. I don't like I don't leave the house often enough same. to put on a podcast. Same. You know what I mean? Because right. I watch Survivor while I'm working. So. <laughs> And that's valid. I'm almost done with it, though, so maybe I'll put that on in the background. Exactly. So he tells her about his condition, something no one else knows about, and Lara's, like, very unfazed by this. He's, like, she's just, like, okay, well, you just have to find a new, like, a new passion then. Like, this is not the end of the world, which I kind of understand why now he, like, literally, like, he's in love with her, which I'm, like, okay, that's a little fast, but I can understand why you would be a little infatuated with her, perhaps, She's a bit of a realist, and maybe you need that in your life. So Jay invites her to... He, he finds her at the restaurant, invites her to the party that night, and she asks to bring over her co-worker, Chad, to cheer him up after he recently got dumped. <laughs> so Jay agrees. 
It's 11 a.m. now, and finally, Jay gets back, and he and Kit show up late to pick up Hud because he had to go on this detour to go ask this girl to the party. The three of them head toward the restaurant. Finally, they all show up to the restaurant, and Jay suggests that they all go surfing together, and they all agree and head over to Nina's place together, although she's, like, freaking out because she's like, we can only, I can only be there for so long because the cleaners and the caterers are going to show up, and I have to be there, blah, blah, blah. So... As they're surfing, a perfect wave comes, waves comes in, and as Jay goes for it, Kit sees him and cuts him off, stealing the wave from him. Jay is, like, irate at this and warns her that it's dangerous to do, but Kit is confident in her ability to maneuver without getting hurt. And I think it's a little bit of both. I think it was probably a little dangerous, but I think also he is underestimating how talented she is, in yeah. my personal opinion. <laughs> and he's also a big brother, exactly. so he's going to be... And, it, like, especially because of the way they were raised, like, very close-knit, well, he's going to be concerned. No, I think it's more like he doesn't want people in the same spotlight as him. He's a bit of, like, that oh. kind of person. I think that's what it more is. Oh, so he's just dickish like his father. Yeah, a little bit. So, uh, meanwhile, HUD watches the two of them bicker, and Nina heads over to, to the house to welcome in the cleaning staff and make them comfortable, which I'm like, wow, this girl... Really cares about everyone. Cares about making the cleaning staff comfortable. That's how you know she's a good person. So, Hud thinks about how Nina puts everyone else before herself and thinks it's super sad and something he doesn't like about Nina, which is like a running theme throughout this book. Nina is very much kind of like a doormat, and I relate to that hardcore. (laughs) So, by 3 o'clock, Hud is at Pepperdine University at the art studio where the guy in charge of the dark room, Ricky, lets him use when it's available. As HUD goes to work in the dark room, Ricky asks about the party and HUD extends an invite. We then go back to Nina at her house, which is now spotless, and as she looks at the clothes Brandon left behind, a part of her is tempted to get herself a drink, but then she kind of stops herself because she has like flashbacks of her mother doing the same thing. And, you know, that is mm-hmm. apparently the... Most that's like the nightmare of every daughter's, you know, dreams as becoming their mother. So, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything because I could talk about that <laughs> for hours. Psychological ad nauseum. Yeah, ad nauseum. Yeah. So as the sun begins to set, Kit is getting dressed for the party, and she wants to look good since this guy Seth will be there, who's like a friend of Jay and Hud's. And goes looking for Nina to get fashion advice. And by 6, Kit arrives at Nina's to see it beginning to fill with waiters and bartenders. Kit tells Nina about her her fashion dilemma. And says that she wants to look sexy, but not wear a tight dress or heels. And Nina thinks for a moment, and then she cuts je- uh, Kit's jeans into a pair of frayed shorts. And like does something to her t-shirt. And does Kit's makeup and gives her a high ponytail. And looking at herself, Kit feels great and also like herself. So, a win in my book. Love that for her. Love that for her. So soon, Jay and Hud have apparently got the liquor and are bringing it to the party. And on their way to Nina's, Hud decides to ask Jay what he would think of him dating, asking Ashley out. To which Jay immediately is like, no, absolutely not. And, and not because he particularly cared for Ashley or anything, but just because he thought it would be weird, which is, like, the pinnacle of Jay's, like, personality. Like, <laughs> that really describes it to me. Like, 
he didn't even really care. Like, he's not that hung up on Ashley, but it's the fact that HUD would want to ask her out and maybe he'll be, she'll be with HUD instead of him that, like, irritates him. It's like he can't let other people be better than him. Yeah. So Something he probably gets from his father. Probably. So at 6.51, Jay, HUD, and Kit arrive at Nina's, and then Brandon shows up and tells Nina that he loves her and wants her wants to come home. Yeah, very annoying. Ugh. Gross. I, all men do is lie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the theme of this It, it really is. So um, at 7, Kit's friend, best friend Vanessa De La Cruz is the first to arrive, and she goes into the party hoping that HUD might finally start noticing her, which... I was like, you sweet baby angel. That is just not going to happen. Sweet girl. No, no. Literally. So as people continue to file in, Nina and Brandon are upstairs with him, uh, are upstairs. And Brandon starts begging for another chance, saying how much he missed her, and then leads her downstairs where he announces to the crowd that's gathered now that he loves her and that he made a mistake. And as the crowd encourages her to take her back, Nina, like, basically is no has no choice but to say okay and accept him back because she feels pressured to. Soon, soon there are people everywhere, like famous people, Oscar winners, singers, you know, the to-do, the well-to-do people. And Jay mm-hmm. is waiting impatiently for Lara to arrive. Meanwhile, Ashley comes in and finds Hud at the party. At 9 o'clock, Ricky, who is the Pepperdine photo studio guy is hoping that to hoping to finally work up the courage to talk to Kit since he has liked her for the last three years, which I find very endearing because he's not, like, so, like, all about himself, you know? He's like, oh, I don't know if mm-hmm. I can talk to her. I think it's cute. <laughs> Meanwhile, Nina is surveying the party when Wendy Palmer, one of the staff from the restaurant, beckons her to come and dance. And as Nina finally starts to enjoy herself, she sees HUD with Ashley. It's very clear that it's romantic and she sees it and she's like that's none of my business yeah <laughs> she looks away and she's like well that's none of my business i pretend i do not see it i am looking away oh my god look at the moon tonight yeah, it's exactly so pretty exactly and she like sees it and is like mm, this isn't gonna end well but that's not really my problem so <laughs> so at the same time jay heads down the stairs and spots lara and starts like making out with her because I don't know. Apparently that's what he wants to do. (laughs) Outside, Vanessa sees HUD with Ashley and gets her hopes and dreams crushed because she's like, this obviously not going to happen. And yeah, I know. I'm like, that's rough. It's a rough pill to swallow my baby girl. Yeah. So Kit notices Ricky checking her out and she decides she's, she's interested in him. She's going to go for it. Yes. Right. Elsewhere, HUD tells Ashley he's going to try to talk to Jay again tonight and tells her about the mishap with him trying to tell him that they've been dating and not ask him for permission to date her. Um, Mm -hmm. And Ashley interrupts him to tell him that she's pregnant. So uh, you better get on that fast. So. What is up with these men and just getting women pregnant? Right. The virility in this family I, is insane. I know. So at 11 p.m., this the hottest screenwriter in town named Bobby Hausman 
shows up to the party and gets a serving tray from one of the waitresses and pulls a whole brick of cocaine out and starts cutting lines and he starts serving it around. Later, Bobby and that waitress have sex in a coat closet, by the way. Right. That's fun. Soon, six different trays of coke are being passed around the party and after refusing yet another offer of coke, Kit finds Ricky, who tells her that she's his dream girl. To which I say, not a manic pixie Aww. dream girl idealation here, sir. Not a fan. Meanwhile, Nina's closest friend and fashion model, Tareen Monteflore, Monteflore, she's 27, walks in with Greg Robinson, who's a big-time music producer, who's 50. Gross. Nina is surprised that Tareen would date someone that much older, but Brandon's more surprised that she would date a black man. Yeah. Ugh, the racism. Yeah, love that. The way that Nina is, like, concerned because he's, like, 50, which would be, like, I feel like most women's concern, and he's just like, wow, I can't Mm -hmm. let you date a black man. Because it goes over men's head that it's incredibly predatory for them to be dating women significantly younger than them. Exactly, exactly. So, Tareen is unpleasantly surprised to see Nina back with Brandon, because Tareen is a good friend, and questions Nina about it. Nina defends her decision, saying it's just easier this way. To which Tareen tells Nina that that's her biggest flaw, is that she's, like, too selfless and that she just wants to do whatever's best for everyone else. Yeah. Out on the patio, Kit waits while Ricky looks for a deck of cards to show her a magic trick. Which, like, this scene is, like, really cute. I thought it was very adorable. Um, When Ricky gets back, he does the trick. And Kit is mostly, like, kind of just humoring him uh, to get his attention. And he does the trick again and, like, shows her how to do the trick. I just think it's cute because magic is so dorky. (laughs) And while he's like showing it to her again, he kisses her and Kit somehow like feels like something's off and realizes she's not into guys at all. Oh, yeah. I thought she was going to be like, oh, my God, like he feels icky. Like maybe he's stalking her. I have to make everything dark. (laughs) It's like I left part of it out because it's really not that important. But throughout the book, you kind of get like a little bit of a feel like perhaps maybe she doesn't like guys as an into girl is and is into girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but this really seals the deal for Kit because she tries to kick Ricky even harder to force away the thought. But it's it's just not happening. Yeah. Soon Nina is approached by a 17 or 18 year old girl in a purple dress asking to talk and introduces herself as Casey Greens and tells Nina that she thinks Mick Riva is her father. God damn it. Yes, this man cannot keep it in his pants. <laughs> They're just so, popping up at all out of the woodwork. Right, so Casey's adoptive parents died recently in a car crash, and she'd always known that her biological mother died in childbirth, and Casey's given name was originally Casey Miranda Ridgemore, and according to a note on a photo she found, Mick Riva was her father, according to her mom. Mm-hmm. Casey is supposed to start her freshman year in UC Irvine soon, but ended up driving out to Malibu to inquire about, or to ask about the Rivas, and eventually was directed to Riva Seafood, and then finally heard about the party, and has now ended up here. Mm-hmm. Now, this is when it starts getting interesting. At, at midnight... So now it's the 28th of August. Mick mm-hmm. Riva, who is now 50, is in his bedroom wearing a suit and tie and thinks about his ex-wife, Angie, 
who's now wife number that's wife number six now they're divorced Ugh. yeah and how he regrets cheating on her or perhaps regrets getting together with her in the first place and since now he lives alone with his butler named sully um while there are no formal invitations to the reva party because obviously this is like a young party like you know mm-hmm. there's no invitations uh, Kit had always sent a handwritten one to Mick each year since she had tracked down his address five years ago. This year, Mick has finally noticed the invitation and decides to go. So, he's like, I'm going to create an environment so toxic. <laughs> <laughs> so, back at Nina's house, Wendy Palmer has decided to quit her job at Reva's and give up on her dreams of stardom and go home to Oregon. So, that was the girl who worked at Riva's seafood who dragged Nina out on the dance floor Mm -hmm. Um, but this party is her last hurrah so she strips naked and starts making out with two members of a popular band in the jacuzzi and plans to have sex with both of them in the jacuzzi an icon I know I had to add that in there because wow wow right so looking for someplace more quiet this part really gets me so Jay and Lara are looking for somewhere more quiet to go to hook up to which they go into Hud's truck. Why? Right, exactly. He Didn't he come in his own car? Uh, apparently not. <laughs> I think they go in there. I think the reasoning is, oh, it has more room. But I'm like, gross, please stop. Ew. Yeah, so he admits, Jay admits that he hasn't stopped thinking about her since they met. And as things start getting heated, Jay starts looking around for a tr- uh, the truck for a condom. And opens the glove box to find racy pictures, like nude pictures, of Ashley mm-hmm. giving a blowjob to HUD. And Jay, like, explodes. He's not happy. Meanwhile, HUD and Ashley have been walking down the beach talking about the pregnancy and how they're both excited at the prospect, but know they have to t- tell Jay what's going on. So they start yeah. heading back to the party. It's now 1 a.m. Brandon is in the bathroom, buzzed, thinking about what an idiot he was for how he treated Nina and how it all started nine months ago at the Australian Open when he unexpectedly lost to a 17-year-old kid named Anders Larson, which sounds like the most, like, ster- generic. Yes. Yeah. Generic, like, su- like, Swedish name I've ever heard in my life. Like, then he, like, starts going into this affair that he had with Carrie Soto um, and how he, like, just that day woke up and she was ordering room service, I think it was, and she was speaking super rudely to the people on the phone. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, enough to, like, snap him out of it. He's like, oh, God, what am I doing here? You're a bitch. He literally, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's, like, verbatim what he says. And he obviously realized it was a mistake and that he wanted to go home and get Nina back. Mm-hmm. So, in at the, so now present day in the party, Terry Soto shows up to the party with a bunch of Brandon's clothes that she is threatening to light on fire in the front lawn. Great. Love that. Sounds like fun. Let's have a bonfire. Right. So Nina makes her way out there to see what the fuck's going on. Carrie angrily is yelling at Brandon for the things he said to her before he left. And... Nina is like so over this. She thinks about her own life and how she's just accepted all the bad things that has happened in her life and wishes she could have been more like Carrie, who's like yelling and screaming and demanding more from people. And finally, Nina tells both Brandon and Carrie to get the fuck out and leave her property 
and as they leave, Carrie apologizes for interrupting the party, so at least she has some manners. <laughs> Brandon, however, refuses to leave and insists, insists that the house is his. And so Nina's like, fine, you can take this fucking house. I never want it in the first place. Yeah. Afterward, Nina thinks about how relieved she is to be done with him. And Brandon goes back into the bedroom and starts, like, drinking even more. And, and I think kind of sets his mind on, oh, I'm going to get Carrie back. I don't care about Nina anymore. Like, this man is a piece of shit. Yeah. So Kit and Ricky continue making out. Ricky is super happy about this until he realizes that she, like, does not seem into this at all. And, at, and he asks her if she wants to stop. And at first, Kiss Kit is like, no, 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 it's fine, like, whatever. But then she's like, yeah, we gotta stop. Like, I'm not into this. And she tells him, yeah. she tells him that she thinks she's into women and just would prefer to stay friends with him instead, which Ricky is, like, a really good sport about. And it's like, yeah, we can be friends. Like, that's cool, whatever. And he asked Kit to teach him to surf because he doesn't know how. And she's like, yeah, I can do that. So we love that. We Aww. love not having any more trauma added to this mix. yeah. We love a good sport. Exactly. So back in Hud's car, Jay is still dealing with this these pictures of Ashley, his ex-girlfriend, giving his brother a blowjob. Uh, after he has sex with Laura, with Lara, yeah, she asks him what's wrong, and he tells her about the photos he found, and then tells her that he loves her. However, Lara responds by saying, uh, I, I don't like, I, I'm not on the same page, like, I don't love you. We literally hooked up, which yeah. obviously Jay is very hurt and upset about because he was really into her and mm-hmm. he tells her to get out of the car and walks back to the house and goes looking for HUD and finally finds like spots him with Ashley and they start fist fighting. Love that. Um, meanwhile, Mick is driving to the party and when he finally arrives, Everyone stops what they're doing because he's arrived and he's a big, big to do. Yeah. Um, out on the beach, Jay yells at HUD when he gets to him and HUD readily admits that he and Ashley are together and apologizes profusely. So like, okay, HUD is a kind of a piece of shit for cheating, for sleeping with Jay's girlfriend while they were still together. But at least he is owning up to it and showing growth yeah. other than Jay, who is just like all about himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay lunges at him anyways and soon they are bad, they're fighting HUD is not fighting back though Jay is just like throwing punches and HUD is just like kind of taking yeah, them because he's like I deserve this for being a piece of shit mm-hmm. uh, when Nina finally comes out from where she was hiding in her pantry after that blowout with Carrie Soto and her ex-husband mm-hmm. she f- spots Mick but not instead of going to talk to him, Nina goes to warn her siblings and Casey, who might also be her sibling, that Mick is at the party. Mm-hmm. It's 2 a.m. and Mick goes looking for his kids only to see Jay and Hud fighting. And as he separates them, they are both shocked to see him there. And when Kit shows up, Mick doesn't even recognize her, having only seen her as a baby. Like, I think she was one when he left. And Mm -hmm. Mick tells them that he wants to be a part of their lives and asks them to sit down with them to talk. So the four of them head to the beach. This is not well received, by the way. Like, they're like, uh, be a part of the family. You've left us like three times. But good try. Yeah. So Nina finds Casey and tells her that Mick is downstairs if she wants to talk to him. However, 
they end up just chatting in the bedroom instead. When she finally sees Mick and her siblings walking towards the beach, Nina decides to go to talk to him. So and it's now 3 a.m. And Ashley is very upset over this full-out brawl that just happened and decides to ha- head home, worried about how things will work out between her, Hud, and Jay. And she's just over it. In the kitchen, however, Vanessa runs into Ricky and Vanessa starts lamenting about how she'd been in love with some guy but decided to make out with a bunch of dudes tonight to get over it. And they end up, like, getting together. When Brandon mm-hmm. wakes up, after having drunkenly passed out for a bit, he remembers that he'd, what he meant to do, going to find Carrie. So he drives off to profess his love for Carrie Soto in Mick's car because he didn't want to wait for his car to come out. So he just takes Mick's car. I mean, right. power move. Um, yeah, Fuck I know. That. I was like, okay, damn. Also, how did you get his keys? Like, did his keys, were they just in there? Like, whatever. Yeah. Along the shoreline, Kit starts asking Mick about what he came here to say to them. Mick says that he wanted to get to know them and to be a proper family. And the other kids ask him, what's changed to suddenly prompt this? And then that's when Nina shows up. And she still remembers him making and breaking these promises as a kid. So she starts telling him off, saying that he's not their father and that he can't just choose when to come into their lives and when to not be a, a parent, that they're, they don't need him in their life. Like, goodbye. So Mick asks mm-hmm. just to get to know them a little bit. And they all sit down to talk. Mick asks about the fight and Jay tells them about Hud sleeping with Ashley. But it's more like he's telling the rest of the siblings and he very much makes it known that Mick has no, like, he has no, like, claim to this information. Like, yeah, it's not for him. It's for his siblings. Exactly. So Hud says that he loves Ashley and wants to marry him, marry her. And Mick tells the kids that he knows he was a shit and a bad, like, and wasn't a dad. And that's when they see Casey start coming towards them. So it's 4 a.m. now. Finally, as yet another expensive item gets broken in the house, Tareen decides to put a stop to the party, telling Greg, her producer boyfriend, to shut off the music. All around, people are doing drugs, having sex, and breaking things. So Vanessa and Tareen start trying to shut the party down, suggesting that they stop the food and booze by sending home the wait staff. Soon enough, some guy starts firing off a gun for fun. For some What the fuck? Yeah, for some fucking reason. And this is when Tareen and Vanessa call the police, ask them to help them get the situation under control. This is this mm-hmm. little part you'll like. Soon six police officers arrive and Tareen tells them what's going on and asks them to stop it, but the police officer wants to talk to the owner of the house. And Tareen obviously doesn't know where Nina is. So the sergeant seems more interested in meeting Mick Riva than dealing with the party. So then Tareen gets even more irritated and starts like mouthing off at this officer. And it escalates to him like patronizingly touching her hair. And so she slaps him. Icon. Yeah. Absolute icon. Yeah. So therefore then like Tareen gets arrested. Vanessa gets arrested. Ricky gets arrested because they all start like yelling at this police officer. Yeah, yeah. Rightfully. Right. So while this is all happening and they, they start arresting other people at this party too and start like shutting it, actually shutting down like they were supposed to when they fucking mm-hmm. first showed up. So back on the beach, Casey, as Casey approaches, Nina introduces her to the other siblings because they have not met her yet mm-hmm. still. And Casey hands Mick the photo of her mom, but Mick looks at it and tells her, honestly, I don't know if I'm your father or not. 
don't know. What a piece of shit. He's a, honestly a piece of shit. So then Mick then says that he has had three paternity suits brought against him, but none of them have ended up being his. I don't know if I buy that, but whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mick says that he's typically really careful about these things since he knew if he wanted to be a dad, he could go home to his three children. Yeah. Or his four children. Sorry. So then Nina starts getting real angry with his, for his attitude which Mick defends himself, saying that he truly wasn't capable of being a good father until now, which is a load of bullshit, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. However, Nina laughs in his face, saying that capable has nothing to do with it. Instead, she and June did it because it was necessary. She tells him, like, you don't think I'd rather be off in, like, Portugal, living a simple life, like, of a house on the beach where I just get to surf every day, instead of getting famous off photos of, of me being half naked? Like, obviously, that's the life I want. Doing this is necessary. And finally, she says that she doesn't have room for him in her life and doesn't want to make space for him. And the other siblings agree that it's too late. Good for them. Yeah, right. So Mick says that says okay, but he also explains that his childhood was difficult as well. Hmm, whatever. Right. Do you he, see this? Yeah, exactly. It's the world's smallest violin. Right. And, you know, talks about talks about how his parents were neglectful and how when he was 18, you know, he came home to find his house burned down by, by his mom and that both his parents were dead. And then he explains that he didn't go to the funeral for June because he didn't want to face it and was ashamed of his own behavior, which like, OK, you can be ashamed, but like you have to own up to it, sir. Yeah. Um, he tells the kids that he knows they deserve better from him and that he still loves them despite how he treated them. Still, Nina tells him that his love doesn't mean very much to them, which I was like, yeah, damn. On the way to the precinct, the cops also find, sorry, this is now, what is this? Oh, this is the same at like 4 a.m. The cops have arrested 13 people in total and have loaded them up into the police van and start bringing them to jail, of course. And they've now shut down the party. And on the way to the precinct, the cops find Brandon's car wrapped around a tree. Brandon is very drunk, but uninjured. So they find Mick's car wrapped around a tree. Yeah, but okay. for some reason I wrote down Brandon's, probably because it's a little confusing. <laughs> so at 5 a.m. the party is finally over, and eventually the Rivas head back to the house. I think this is when that line that I was talking about, which was really, I thought, really pretty. Uh, okay, here it is. So um, this is on page 344, and it says, Every minute of your lives you are loved. If I exist on this earth, someone loves you. I'm just, I'm a very selfish man, but I promise you all I love you. I love you so much. Um, and he like says this because he says what I did, the way I failed you, I guess it wasn't because you didn't deserve to be taken care of. It was because of me. My parents weren't ever able to tell me that. And so I've never been sure, but I'm here right now and I can make sure, you know, you deserve better. You deserve the world, which I was like, this man has like so much like interesting characterization where he doesn't want to take accountability for his actions, but he also takes accountability for his actions. Yeah. He wants to tell them like, Hey, listen, what, like what 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 happened is because of me, not because of you. Like that was all on me. So I'm like, this mm-hmm. man is. I just find him a very interesting character. So Jay and Hud make peace with each other. Hud thinks about the type of father he wants to be and is determined to love his child properly. Meanwhile, Kit asks Nina where'd she want to be if she could live anywhere, and Nina says Madeira, Portugal. And bef- before they part. Mick offers to take a paternity test if Casey wants to find out if he's like her actual father. And afterwards, as the officers, as Nina wraps things up with the officers, Mick says Mm -hmm. goodbye to the siblings. And after he leaves, Nina cries 
because of all the trauma that's now happened today. Yeah. As they sit with her. And so now it's 6 a.m. And Kit suggests that Nina moves to Portugal. And Nina is like, no, you guys need me. Like, I can't just leave. And, you know, if I leave, it's not like I'm just going to escape everything. People still know where I am. Like, Brandon will still be able to reach me. People are still going to know I'm McReva's daughter, which is, like, a lot of her problems. Yeah. Um, but, like, the siblings convince Nina, like, no, we're, we're basically going to fake your death. We can just say you died or something. And... So it's amazing can, that you could do that just like back in the 80s. You could fake right? your death and get a new identity. I knew you would like that part. I'm like, that's this sounds like something up Francesca's alley. This whole ending is very much like you. So <laughs> they, like, they convince her. They're like, we'll, we'll like say that you died and we'll help you escape like out to Portugal. Casey offers her her truck because they're like, they're going to know if my car gets found at the airport that like I left. And Casey's like, no, you can take my truck. It's parked. It's not parked with the valets. I parked it down like the beach, the coast. And the siblings convince her, like, we don't need you. We can take care of ourselves. <laughs> like, you need to do this. Well, like, you need you need to do this for Yeah, you. no, I know what you mean, but, like... <laughs> I know it kind of sounds shitty. I feel that. So, yeah, so they convince her, like, no, you got to do this for you. We'll come and visit you in Portugal. But we, we don't... We're, like, adults. We can take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We don't need you to, like, put your life on hold for us anymore. So... As Mick is, it's now 7 a.m. As Mick has realized his car is missing, he decides to just hitch a ride home because it's yeah. the 80s. And he's a man, so he has even less to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> I can only hope the Night Stalker found him. <laughs> <laughs> or the Hillside Strangler. <laughs> right. So as he heads out, Mick is smoking a cigarette and flicks it onto the ground. It lands in the bushes and starts a fire without him realizing it. So he they so, set the house on fire. Yeah, he accidentally sets the house on fire. To which I was like, wow, this man really is the source of all their problems <laughs> in their life. Well, I mean, hey, it's not her house, so True, it's Brandon's house. So Soon the flames from the fire are growing larger and encroach upon the house itself. It burns up the furniture, the walls, the roof and soon it's rolling down the coastline and eventually when the firefighters arrive brandon is with carrie soto when it sees when he sees this house is on fire um nina is on the plane taking off and takes one last look at the house in shambles before taking off when the fire is finally under control nina is already on her flight and the book ends by saying that the fire had brought destruction it would also bring renewal rising from the ashes the story of the of the story of fire, which I was like, wow, that's uh edgelord shit there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that's the end. Did they fake her death by putting her body in saying their body was in the <laughs> fire? They should have. Wow. That was really interesting. That's, yeah. It's like very, I don't know. It, it's like a book. I don't want to say this. It's like a book about nothing, but also a book about so fucking much. Yeah. You know, that's the only way to describe it. Right. And like, I, there's parts I cut out because like, there's like whole like little sub team, like mini subplots with like different famous people who come to, who've come to this party and add to like the destruction of the house and like add to like the buildup of like people, like the house just like falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't include cause this, this would be like three hours. Yeah. So it just take too long. But yeah, it was insane. And I, like, enjoyed it, but it's not as good as Evelyn Hugo. Evelyn Hugo is so good. 
And I feel like if you read it, you would probably like Daisy Jones and the Six better than this, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I could get that sense, just based off of what you've told me about this book. Right. But I was like, oh, I'll cover it. I want to... I. I want to give TGR another shot. I think I'll read her other books, maybe, you know, every yeah. once in a while I'll pick one up. Yeah, just like a fun beach read. Exactly. I read this book in like two days, maybe a day. Could never be me. <laughs> it's quick. It goes fast. Yeah. yeah, Daisy Jones and the Six definitely went fast for me. Understandable. Um, There's a lot that goes on in that book, too. Yeah. A lot of drugs, just like this book. <laughs> lot of cheating just like this book (laughs) (laughs) well you can find us on instagram and twitter at bookaholics pod you can find me on twitter at branch toastics with an x or on instagram at francesca hope and where can they find you you can find me on goodreads uh alicia reads 13 or on storygraph just alicia reads and we'll see you for the next one bye